I'm reading today from Romans, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as the intro video shows shows every week, we're in a series called 12 Steps of Discipleship. And just in case you've lost track with the number, this is number 11, okay? Um, And next week is number 12, and then Palm Sunday is upon us, and then Easter. Um, And we have entitled each sermon, Choosing, Choosing Something. This week, it's choosing hope. And next week, it's choosing love. So as I begin the theme of hope and choosing hope, it occurs to me that maybe a contrast is important. So you might say to yourself, what is hope? Well, let's put it in contrasting form. Hope is probably the opposite of despair. Wouldn't you agree? We despair because evil is overwhelming the good that's in the world. We despair because circumstances in our life may be just drowning us. We might despair because sickness in our bodies seems endless. Or perhaps we despair because our sin seems never to be conquered. You may have been in a moment or a lengthy period of despair concerning any of those issues and perhaps many more. So what is hope? Well, first, we might consider hope in this sort of traditional slogan way that it is more like a wish fulfillment. You might call it wishful thinking. Um, so you could put into that category, we hope for a particular gift at Christmas. And of course, you don't always get it. Or you could say that we hope our favorite team will win. Deontes didn't. The Boilermakers didn't. You can't see it from down there. But this is my Princeton tie. Huh? Because Princeton made it to the Sweet 16. I was hoping for that. I'm actually hoping they make it to the Elite Eight, but I don't have any confidence that they will. I just hope, right? That might be the kind of hope that we define as common hope. Maybe the hope that you'll get married someday. Maybe the hope that your spouse will be perfect. Dream on. Uh, Maybe, right, we have all these hopes. 
But when we encounter the word hope in this passage, it's more robust than that. It's deeper than that. Can I say it's even more severe than that? This kind of hope, this kind of hope could be defined as an expectation that is assured or an assured expectation. An image. If you have a ticket to an event, a concert, a play, a game, you have in hand an assured hope. You're going to the game, you have proof, and you anticipate it with great eagerness. Or you may have hope, assurance in hand, that you purchased a particular item and the item is going to arrive. Or you may hope with an assured expectation that God himself is with you. And that because he's present in your life by grace, you have an assured expectation that you can participate in his glory. That's the kind of hope that Paul's speaking of. Not a wish fulfillment, wonderful as they are, but an absolute solid assurance concerning the presence of God demonstrated in love that gives us, shall we say, a ticket to the glory of God. Now, Paul quickly transitions to, even though he doesn't put it this way, he quickly transitions to another definition of hope. And what is it? Well, let me read the passage again. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we gain access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Hope. Hope means we rejoice in suffering? That's what Paul says. You know, suffering is an inevitable, can I say it once more time, maybe more loudly, inevitable part of the Christian life. It's an all but forgotten concept in contemporary Christianity. We somehow think that when we sign the deed with God, 
When we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, life will be good. And everything will be rosy. And we use verses that are completely legitimate that God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. But we exaggerate it. We exaggerate it to the point that we think if suffering and tribulation are a part of our life, somehow we don't have good faith. Somehow maybe God is after us. Paul says we ought to rejoice in our suffering. You know, the early Christians in the book of Acts were told by the apostle Paul these words, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You want to be a part of the kingdom of God, said Paul? Then get ready for some tough stuff. Get ready for some suffering. That's why Paul makes these statements. You know, the word tribulation or suffering or trials, however you want to translate this phrase, you know what it means? It actually means pressure, squeezing down. Much like a wine press squeezes down on the grapes and out comes the wine. There is a long history of biblical witness from characters that we all know that share difficult stories where people should have, and I think to a certain extent, did rejoice in their sufferings. I mean, think of Abraham in Mount Moriah, where he was asked to sacrifice his son. What greater suffering could there be? Or think about Joseph, who did all the right things and yet was thrown into prison. And later he looked back on the entire episode, which took years and said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Or think of Moses, who thought that God was just going to deliver the people from Egypt right now because of the power of God, and it took 10 plagues and all kinds of heartache. Pharaoh breathing down their neck. Or think of David. You know, most of the Psalms that we love the most were written likely when David was on the run from King Saul, when he was in distress and suffering, wondering what the next day would bring, he brought these songs to us. Out of suffering, we have the Psalms. You might uh, ask Peter about suffering. He might tell you a lot of stories, but you know the one I think he would tell you most quickly? He would tell you the story of of his denying Christ. 
He would tell you how his Savior and Master was with him every step of the way. And at the end of his life, he walked away and pretended he didn't know him. I guarantee you, Peter would say, that was part of my suffering. It was part of my stupidity and my sin. And I suffered through it. And it shaped my character. Or if we think about the Apostle John who was exiled on Patmos never to see his friends and he wrote for us the book of Revelation or we think about the Apostle Paul who said following his own admonition I will literally boast in my weakness because God's strength is made perfect in my weakness Hope is inseparable from suffering in this life. And it's something that we ought to actually rejoice in. So if trials are inevitable, why should we be surprised? If trials are inevitable and they shape us, why should we complain? It's not only inevitable that trials will be part of our life. It is actually good for us. It grows us. So that's verse 3. Rejoice in your sufferings because they're real. Rejoice in their sufferings because they're good for you. Rejoice. Have hope in the midst of suffering. Second part of it relates to perseverance. In verse 4 and beyond, perseverance is the thing that creates Christ-likeness in us. Perseverance is actually the thing that increases our hope when we have the proper perspective. You know what uh, the word perseverance uh, could be translated as? Standing under standing under. Now, we just said that tribulation or trials or suffering is like pressing down. And perseverance is like staying under the pressure. It's like refusing to bend. If I want to strengthen my body, I stand under the weight of exercise. Strengthening my muscle to create more muscle. That's a physiological understanding of this. Now compare it to the spiritual. And you'll see what Paul is suggesting. Or if I want to increase the power of my mind, if I want to expand my intellect, I stand under the weight of study. I want to run and go somewhere else. I just want to have fun, but I stay with it. And my mind expands. I stand under responsibility that sometimes seem to be overwhelming so that I can have more responsibility and advance, say, for instance, in my career. 
You know, I, um, I, I, I hope I'm a student of contemporary culture. Maybe not so astute, but I, I will tell you there is a phrase that I hear over and over and over again. Please, please don't take it the wrong way and uh, never say it around me, okay? I don't, I don't want you to be like... But I hear it ad infinitum ad nausea. I am so stressed out. You, you know the phrase? I hear it all the time. From everybody about everything. And I know what they're talking about. It's thought that I'm immune to being stressed out. But unless, you see, I take this to an extreme, being stressed might actually be a good thing for me. It might strengthen my character. It might produce in me a deeper, vibrant faith and hope. Yes, again, it can be taken to an extreme. I'm not suggesting masochism. I'm suggesting that when we feel stress, perhaps we ought to think of it as a blessing. That's kind of counterintuitive and countercultural, isn't it? So first, we understand in these verses that difficulty is inevitable. Second, we understand in these verses that perseverance is essential. And third, we understand in these verses there is certainty in the promise from God. Paul says, I want you to stand under the weight of pressure. I don't want you to bolt and run. I don't want you to pretend like difficult situations are bad. They're good. Because God works in all things to the good of those that love him. To quote another passage. But then he finishes this section by saying, I want you to know something else. This hope, this hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. In other words, Paul is saying, the reason this hope cannot and will not put us to shame is because we know In our most sober moments, we know that we have been given faith even to believe. We know we have been given grace upon grace. We know that. That is God's love just being poured out into our hearts. It comes from God. We don't muster it up on our own. We have received because of that peace with God. 
And peace here, and, and really always, in the scripture is more than a cessation of hostility, some sort of peace treaty, some ending of conflict. Of course, that's part of peace. But peace in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is consistently the word shalom, which means absolute contented peace before God. I can remember times in my past. I, by the way, was a rebellious child. Go figure. That's why I have to do this, right? I pushed against all the discipline. I pushed against the idea of faith, the faith of my parents. I pushed against everything. And for whatever reason, God still loved me. And he continued to pursue me until finally I gave up. I surrendered. I surrendered to his love. And then he poured his love into my heart by faith. What does shalom look like? Well, just let me quote the verses of a hymn that you all know so well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's the kind of shalom that Paul and Silas experienced in the prison. That's the kind of shalom that Joseph experienced when everything that was evil was against him, even his family. That's the kind of shalom we can experience by grace through faith. And one of the ways we experience it is walking through tribulation. All these things, these, these things that we're walking through and all this grace and love that is poured into us by God That is the glory of God. The glory of God is the grace that is undeserved that we could never have earned poured into our hearts. The glory of God is the redemption of a sinner who hated God. The glory of God is demonstrated when someone falls into, it sounds like I'm contradicting myself from the beginning, but I not listen carefully. When someone falls into ultimate despair, 
When someone comes to the end of themselves, when someone realizes they are hopeless without rescue from God, that is the glory of God, my friends. And that's what Paul is exulting in. And that's why he says, endure hardship. Stay under the press, the wine press of the grace of God. Don't complain. Don't run. Stay there. It is for your glory because you're participating in the glory of God. My friends, this isn't cheap grace. No. This is ridiculously radical, almost irrational love. No wonder we can have hope. So what is hope? Back to the original question. It's believing that difficult circumstances in our lives are not accidental or a punishment of God, but that God is using them to shape us. Hope means that we can be certain that all things will work for the good of those who love God, who walk according to his purposes. What is hope? It's being confident that this life, with all its temporary fleeting joys and sorrow, this life is actually the only beginning of eternal life to come. That death cannot destroy eternal life. Though our bodies waste away, though we're buried in the grave, we cannot be destroyed by death because of eternal life. And hope means trusting that the resurrection power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ will give us new life and don't stay just with yourself. It will give us resurrection life and the power of the resurrection will restore all things. The creation itself, which is groaning, is going to be liberated from the bondage to decay because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As important as it is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for you and for me, it's even more important for the whole world. When we hope, we participate in that glory of God. Hope also means choosing to believe that this body of sin that we constantly struggle with you know what I'm talking about, right? Last week? Yesterday? 
this morning. This body of sin that we constantly struggle with. Hope means that someday it will be destroyed. Destroyed. Conquered forever. I can't wait. That is the glory of God. Finally, uh, this. Hope is a perspective. A perspective on life that's eternal. And it's a choice. It's a choice that we make every day. We choose to hope in the glory of God. It's choosing to believe all this and to live in that reality. So, like disciples, let's choose hope every day and walk in the light of it. Will you pray with me? Lord, you have been overwhelmingly kind to us. When we were without hope, you stepped in and redeemed us. When we didn't seek you, you sought us. When actually we hated you, you loved us. That is the glory of God. So Lord, as as we leave this place where hope is ringing in our ears, bring it down to our hearts so that on Monday we can choose hope and we can exalt in the glory of God. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.